a little nonsense now and then is cherished by even the wisest man. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sasson behind the scenes. This quote leads us to our guest today, Brett Adams. Brett is the owner of Transcending Performance and has been recommended by multiple legends in the field. Today, we took a deep dive into creating environments, but not in the way that most people think about creating environments, not in the way of thinking about how an athlete moves or how an athlete cuts, but into how an athlete thinks, how we are challenging our athletes emotionally, how are we getting down to the raw aspect of who that person is as an athlete and showing them that. This was a rabbit hole of a podcast. This is something that I've had to go back and listen to a couple of times just to really understand what coach is saying. And I'm really looking forward to implementing it with our athletes, implementing some of these challenges, some of these things that I know work and just we need to focus more on as a field, as a profession, as coaches. And I hope you guys get something out of this podcast and I hope you guys are able to implement some of these things. Thank you guys for listening. All right, well, Coach, it's awesome to have you on the podcast. You've been recommended by three big-time guests. I'm excited for you to be here. Yeah, I can't wait to, uh, to dive into some rabbit holes and see where, we go, see where we take it. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, how you kind of got into the realm that you're in right now, how you kind of got into the world of sports performance, and a little bit about your background? I had an opportunity to go to two big, uh, a couple of big universities to, to go do athletic training because that's what I did in high school all four years. Um, so I was an athletic trainer in high school, but I just felt like I wasn't going to be able to do anything because most athletic trainers, you don't get to work with athletes like hands on until your junior to senior year. So I just decided to go to a JUCO because you get to you pretty much get to do everything that the board certifies get to do. I'm just pretending like I didn't say that, but that's the truth. And I fell in love with it. I have been training athletes probably since I was 10. Uh, I, we used to work with the, the seniors, the juniors in high school when I was 10. So I would do all that stuff. And back then it was just movement. It's pretty much the same stuff I do now with more nuance, a lot more nuance to it, a lot more respect to the game, a lot more discipline, a lot more uh, composure for me and then also the, the, the players. Um, and I guess what really pushed me to, to continue and keep going with this and colleagues was it was a pivotal, pivotal point after the baseball team I was working with won a national championship, which was my second national championship I got while I was at the JUCO. My first one was soccer, my first semester, then my last year I had baseball the entire year. So I got to uh, go through that beautiful process of training beginning in August and ending in I think the last game was June 5th and we got off the bus and we ate McDonald's. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's a hell of a way to celebrate a national championship. But all of that, that whole culmination, it was just a lot of hands-on. It was, it was dirty. It was fast. It was, I don't like to be surprised. So I, I took that approach of always going through scenarios, always going through situations, even as an athlete trainer. So if it was, getting water to a player fast enough, uh, players on the field hurt. So if it's for soccer, you got to wait till the ref puts you on the field. But I wanted to make sure I had at least the ability to grab tape, gauze, and uh, maybe a couple band-aids and then be able to put myself in that situation and say, okay, by the time I get to this athlete, it'll take me 10, 
to 40 seconds to get everything done, to assess the situation, and then start applying uh, what I need to get done. So I started taking that and I fell back in love with the process of situations and training. And this is maybe in late 2015. So it got to a point to where the athletic trainers started doing scenarios. So we meet every Friday morning at like four or five, uh, five or six o'clock in the gymnasium. We play through various scenarios to where maybe a basketball player is hurt on the court. One of the trainers forgot the, uh, the uh, AED. Somebody has to run all the way up to the trainer and get the AED. Then come all the way back down, set it up, put the pads on. So now you're, you're pressure, like your heart rate's up. You might be erratic. You might have never done this before ever. So now you're sliding on the gym floor, trying to place the pads, move, like hands are jittery. So now we just really get to play with environment. So that was a pretty much a, a pivotal turning point. And I'd say the second turning point was in 2017 when I went to the first, uh, I forgot what it's called, the Sean Mishka's Movement Mastery, his, his, uh, his conference, went to his first conference. And it really just reminded me I wasn't doing anything wrong. Pretty much the stuff these guys had spent years of research trying to figure out. We had already figured out um, as kids. Like, you go to the hood, you don't play with shoes on. Some some don't have goals. Some have goals. If you have a goal, uh, some playing with flat balls. Some playing with uh, pretty much the best of the best. So we're always adapting. We're finding different environments to work through. Um, so it was pretty much stop second guessing the stuff I want to do and just go out there and do it. Like at the end of the day, I have enough critical thinking and common sense to know when to, uh, when enough is enough. And I think that's the thing, this whole field and most disciplines are lacking nowadays, the common sense to say, okay, that's enough. The critical thinking to say, why are we even doing this? What's the application behind it? Will this transfer? Are you even putting the athletes in the situation to give the feedback? Cause it's not up to me, it's up to them. And that's pretty much the, the background, the best way to put it. I normally go into like a lot of fluff and like the, but that's the important stuff, like how I really got to the, the epiphanies and the true rabbit holes and just becoming dominant. And I'm interested in how you have applied uh, that AT background and the, the movement-based background. And I, I like how you said uh, it was, it was just how you adapted growing up because there's like you said there like we talk about all the time like creating environments now where you have to adapt uh, and that's because i think we're in a world filled with comfort but talked about in the hood right. where, that you didn't have that option uh, i'm interested in how you applied all of this uh and kind of took it to the next level of doing your own thing now and wh where that kind of path is taking you towards right now uh it's it's dangerous uh one because the herd mentality is scary, especially in this field. You pretty much have no room to do anything if no, if the top dogs aren't backing you. And that's, that's a fact. Um, and whether the top dogs are the researchers or the, the actual coaches putting the research in from those top dogs. So I don't post much. I do have a very small selective group of coaches that I do bounce back and forth with. Um, I have tremendous respect for all of those coaches because they, they don't hold punches and I don't hold punches either. So we're able to really just, uh, I'm able to send them in the middle of the night or two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. Um, or I can send them a, a video of something I've been working on right now. And they'll be like, I like it, but, and I'm just waiting for, okay, but what? And then we'll just go back and forth. And then sometimes I'll get into these uh, elegant, elegant 
arguments that just go on and on and on. And then I was, I knew I was wrong, but I just needed to get the argument out to see if I could even find some type of wiggle room and say, okay, well, maybe this, maybe that, maybe this. And then they're just spewing on this either really aggressive or really uh, laissez-faire type of rebuttal. So now I'm able to really see a different perspective and all of that's been either in text or recorded. So now I can go back and listen, okay, this is what happened. Okay, so if I switch this and do that, then send it to another coach that's going to rip me regardless of what I do, just because that's his personality. And then I go back out and try it. They go try it. So I really just built the community for myself to really, uh, to um, one, it isn't going to, as soon as I post something, applaud me, they're going to find the critiques because that's, that's what I want personally. I'm not the kind of guy who just, uh, I don't look for the claps. I'm looking for the person with the smug face. So I can, okay, so what'd you see? Because he's going to tell me regardless of something goes bad, something goes good, something goes bad. That's the guy I want to talk to when I feel like I've done everything great. I got to go see him. And I feel like you don't even, you don't even get a chance in this, uh, this field if you post something that's uh, not of taste, not of the taste of the month. Like you can't even post a ladder video without getting assaulted, disrespected, or, um, or even question like there is no question anymore it's supposed to lie to be a terrible coach it's it's now we've created this firing squad society where we're not even trying to have civilized or wild arguments that elicit some type of understanding from both parties we just want to post for the idea of i've been doing this for so long okay i just tried this is going to work so now all my flunkies are going to try this because it worked for me so it's just this whole, and pretty much like it's everything we're seeing now in the pandemic, but just in our field, and in in this uh, in this ball, in this um, closed environment that it's tough to get in. And I always make the joke. I don't know if you know uh, train efficiently, Jerry Burton, a great guy. Uh, once we wrap this up, I will, I'll tell you a little bit about him, and you should, he's probably the next guy you should have on the talk. Um, but I always tell him it's. It's just uh, most don't want to know. And even when we tell them, they'll be like, ah, it's just not it. It's not it. And yeah, that's the uh, something that you see with a lot of the successful coaches. And it's something that's tough, but it's it's that egoless approach almost like you're not looking for the ego boost. And that's where you see a lot of a lot of coaches that get into the field. It's, it's the ex-athlete that is fueled by that ego boost. Like that's why they were competitive in their sports. That's why they were good. And now they're transitioning to the field of coaching. And now they're, like you said, they're not looking for the right answer. They're looking to be told they have the right answer, if that makes sense. Right. And it's the challenge. Yeah. And challenging the, the status quo. And that, that's why I love having people like you on, because even if it's a very far out there view, it, it's challenging what, like you said, almost that group thing that the, the community of strength conditioning coaches have. And, just trying to move it and that like everybody can listen to something and take something from it or not take something from it. But at least it's challenging where we're currently at and hopefully moving everything forward. And now I'm interested in kind of how you're challenging this. And, and that is in, and this is what uh, the, the three people have told me I need to talk to you about, but the creating the environments and the kind of the perception reaction thing. And I'm very interested in, this is something that I've been diving deep into, but just a couple things of like, why one, we need to be doing this, uh, why for our athletes, we need to be exposing our athletes to this. And then two, how you go about creating these environments and how you actually implement this in your everyday training with your athletes to get them to their goals. Right. 
Okay. Um, well, before I even dive into the idea of creating environments, I need, there's a list of non-negotiables that I work, walk every athlete through. It's probably pretty much about 20 things on the list and about 35 theories or principles. And a lot of people are like, well, that's a lot. But I'm like, at the end of the day, if I buy something for uh, $5,000, it's probably going to be a one-time purchase. So this is the same idea behind that. It's a one-time purchase. The value behind them actually understanding discipline and the principles of whether it's some type of economic principle or whether it's some type of uh, psychology term that they can implement. Now they have a, now they have a dictionary, they have a toolbox of movement and vernacular that they can put together. So now they're disciplined, they're composed, they're going out there, they're not always putting their head down, they're not showing bad movement. They know when to remove themselves out of the situations because I don't force anyone to do anything. Like if you want to be over there, stay over there. But if you're on my court or if you're on my field or if you're on my, uh, my uh, or if you're in the way, we're going to work. But if you need to step aside, step aside. And until you get back into my line of sight, then I can uh, approach you the proper way. But if you want to step aside, I, I understand you need space. And I feel like that's the, the piece we're missing as a whole. Like one kid has the idea of discipline, but he doesn't know how to reflect that in the game. He misses one tackle. He misses one serve. He misses this and he's broken a $300 racket. This other player is now, who's missed a tackle, is now going headhunting. And now, now that he's headhunting, he's missing key movements, key um, concepts, whatever his uh, defense is set up as. And he's missing assignments. Like, so now he's um, he's pretty much fucking, uh, how is this person on here? I don't want and he's pretty much fucking everybody else up. And there's the accountability part. You have to be disciplined because it's not just you. It's 11 guys on the field, not just one. And really understanding, and it's the same thing. So when we talk about, or when I talk about creating environments, I studied architecture for about two years. And I, and you know, there's J.J. Gibson who talks about affordances, but there's also Norman who talks about affordances. But he's talking about affordances um, as far as the computer and architecture design. So he's looking at the emotional design behind things. So when I create sprinting environments, I'm looking at what is going to elicit the most stress, what's going to elicit the most flare-ups, what's going to elicit something that's either going to piss you off or push you forward. And I have to make something that whatever pisses you off doesn't cause your hamstring to tighten up, doesn't cause your lap to tighten up, doesn't cause you to start uh, using a poor, faulty uh, breathing mechanism. So we're looking at all these things and we're keeping them coupled. But then if I have to remove something and say, I just need you to feel today, we're going to go out and we're going for high output. I have the, I have my, uh, my metrics on you. So I just need you to feel the cameras rolling. I, I got the angles. You go out there. I got everybody else. You go out there and I just want you to feel. Just make sure you're moving well and come back and tell me how that works. Because at the end of the day, we want these these arbitrary numbers that might mean something at the end of the day, but if he can't do it covered, if he can't do it all, if he can't do it with the guy in the cloud, if he can't do it um, running up to the net and still having to hit the ball, if he can't do it um, running um, wide for a ball, still making the ball for the throw. Like, so it's what are we really creating the environment for? Does the athlete even understand the environment? Because my thing, whenever I did, uh, air quote, play, it was 
always setting up situations for the athlete to question themselves to the point to where they're not going to, they can't dominate. I got to figure out a way for the guy who dominates to struggle. I got to figure out for the guy who loves, to, who, who always struggles to dominate. So now I'm kind of crossing path and crossing patterns. So it's like, okay, I've got this guy doing X, Y, Z. What is this eliciting? Okay, if I say me and you are going to get on a tumbling mat and I'm going to drop a ball in the middle, okay, you're going to hold on to uh, Jeff Shorts. You're going to hold on to Mark's left delt, like just, just right delt. He's going to hold on to it. As soon as the ball drops, turn around and, and dive on the mat. Mark, what is this eliciting? Jeff, what is this eliciting? Oh, so it's like coming off the block, the running back came through a hole, dropped the ball, missed the fumble. Like he, he fumbled it. So now Mark's is, is Mark on offense or Mark on defense? Where do you want Mark to be? Okay, Mark's on defense. So I'm on offense, pick it up, scoop. So, but now as you scoop, you have something to afford. You have a guy literally getting ready to fall or make an adjustment. So now you have to make an adjustment. Whoever gets to the mat first, how fast is he getting to the mat? How fast am I getting to the mat? Where's the environment? Is it is there concrete under that? Is there concrete on the side? Are we on turf? Are we on grass? Are we in the weight room? So now they're learning to afford. They're learning to pick up and read the room. And then on top of that, they're learning, okay, do I need to put this much pressure on this side? Do I need to do that? Do I need to do this? They're learning if you let them, like, just have the conversation of what you see, what you feel. What should he have done? Okay, okay. All right, do it again. And then sometimes you just got to let them go. Like I let my guys and a young woman go. And what I mean by that is if we're working on serve returns, I'm like on um, tennis court and we might just be going what I call small box or sparring. So the idea is we're just working on hitting the shit off the ball. Like we're just working on high velocity and just speed. So we're just sparring. But then I'm like, uh, mix a serving. So now we're going serve return. So we're mixing the serve and boom, spar. And I'm like, go the whole round. Like, so I'm like, finish. Typically, I just want them to go tiebreaker setup. So it's just one, two, then one, two, then one, two. But if I say go four, that means they're, they're now have to win that game. So now it's not just boom, boom, finish. So now I'm putting it in a pivotal situation. This might be a game they, get, they need to work back into the set or a game they need to work to even hold. They might win the set with this game. So now just eliciting different things because I don't see everything like everyone else does. So I'm always looking and looking at the research, looking at uh, players' movements. But I like to look at the shittiest player because somehow the shittiest player still is in the same league with the top dog. Like, because if you look at, there's all, like we're all exceptions to, to some rule out there. You're an exception to a rule. I'm an exception to a rule. Um, LeBron's an exception to a rule. Jordan's an exception to a rule. Jordan had his own rules. So, like, Kobe was an exception to the rule. Um, all these guys play in the same league, but they play a different game than everyone else in that league. And those are the guys, for some reason, we want to look at. But I need to look at the guy who played somehow right alongside that same guy in the league on a different team for the same amount of time. No injuries, no flare-ups, no nags. He got a, he had a great career. He wasn't an all-star, but for some reason, he 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 lasted just as long as the legend. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, what did he do right? 
compared to what they, what they did, right? So just looking at the whole spectrum, because I want to look at the averages. I want to look at what, what quarterback threw the most in the college game. It was uh, Patrick Mahomes. I think it was 834 yards. But then most people are looking at, okay, so he just threw 834 yards. I want to see how many completions he got. I want to see how many throws he tried to make just to get the whole picture. So same thing with running back, same thing with linebacker, same thing with receivers. What has the most done? Like, okay, what does the top guy do? And what's the least yards in a game? So I got to – so whatever in, whatever in the middle, I want to kind of train my guys around. And then I got to figure out what they can do and then make their own little – toolbox and toolkit so they can now move with the discipline, move with the vernacular, move with their affordances, and play their game. They can create them. But the thing about it is we're, we're trying to do that. Um, and when I say we as a field, uh, I'm not speaking for everybody. It's, if, it, if it's, if it's uh, meant for you, it's meant for you. We're trying to do that in, in one fell swoop, not over a long period of time. Because at the end of the day, like, if you look at the game, how many coaches are really giving dictionaries to players and say, okay, I need you to figure it out. Go learn these words. Go understand these psychology, uh, these psychology studies. Here is uh, sociology. And as you go research a little bit of that, now we can start actually playing the game. Go study that. Figure out how you can apply. Figure out the definitions, then come back. And we'll just go watch. We'll go, I'll put up as much film as possible. We'll just, I want you to just, okay. And yeah, he flared up. 30 minutes later, he pulled his hamstring. He flared up. 30 minutes later, he pulled his cap. Um, in an interview, he said he was having a bad game. Let's go watch that game. In an interview, he said this happened. So are we actually, like, what are we doing? Like, the whole field is just so caught up on studying the movement, but we're not, we're not keying in on the mind, the, the brain. We're not looking at the software and the hardware and saying, okay, this happened, that happened. Okay, he, he was, tra- like, there's trauma in this, boom, boom, boom. Because everything's coming together to make this this beautiful system, and we just have to figure out all the pieces behind it. It's a, it's easy if the athlete knows themselves. Everything else falls into place if the athlete knows himself. There's confidence. There's discipline. There's aggression. But if they don't, it's the, the, everything falls by the wayside. It's the same thing when you look at the league. They always say the same thing. Hey, this guy, he. He's going to be a great pick, but I don't know. He's going to be trouble. He's going to be trouble if he gets to the to the, to the, to the big dance. Why? What changed from four years of college to now he's in the big dance? Is it because he because because you let him do everything he ever wanted to do without putting discipline in his path, without saying okay, without being like, if I'm hard, I mean, he might leave. Shit, that's not the guy for me. I don't care if he's going to go first round. I don't care if I got five first rounders in the thing. That's not the guy for me if I can't. Give him some, give him a good rigor to understand, and then allow him to adapt. Then let him do what he has to do. But we don't, but as a culture, we don't want to do that. We'll talk about doing it, but we won't actually do it. Coach, that, yeah, that got me fired up. I, I was, <laughs> I got a lot of notes already, and we're like five minutes <laughs> in. I, <laughs> let's go. All right. So the first thing, and I freaking love this point, I'm going to draw it way back to one of the first things you mentioned is that, that creating the emotion part of it, because that is so. To me, it's just so obvious, but we're missing so much of it is like we're, we're never creating emo- emotion in our training. And, and like, right. and you, that's, 
if you've played the sport, if you've seen an athlete, like you said, you'll just talk about an athlete that he'll miss that tackle. And then the rest of the game's shit, because he's never been trained to respond to missing a tackle. You know, you'll have these practices where everything's all jolly. Everything's all good. He never fails. And then game day, when he does fail, that's the first time of the week, the first time of the year. And he's like, how does he react to that? And that's where the guys that are just built to react to it are doing it, but we're not actually training it. And the other, the other point, like I want to, and it's, ties into that emotion part. And this is something I've been diving into a lot recently is they can't dominate. Like they can't dominate every single game you play. And this is where, and I'm working, I've been writing about this and I'd be interested to know your thoughts, but I feel like, and it's a lot of it's the coach's ego as well is we want to see our athletes win in training because it makes us feel good. And it's like, all right, that athlete's progressing because they're doing better. And I think it, I think it's one of the reasons we stay in the weight room so much with a lot of the stuff that we do is if you, if you just bring your environment to back squatting and every week, that's our main focus of the program. They're going to get better and they're going to start to dominate in quotations, the game of back squatting. But like, how is that progressing? Like, how are we teaching them to do other movements, to learn other things, to learn how to lose, to not dominate the same exact thing over and over and over again. And when you mentioned that, that like, that's exactly where my, my mind went. And I, I love that point. Yeah, it's important. Um, it's, it's so important. A lot of times, like my goal has always been ever like since I was training since I was ten, and before that, when I was training myself and just living, um, trying to survive. You know, uh, I have to break. Like at some point, I have to try to break that athlete, and that's why I give the discipline. I give the psychology papers, the studies, so now they know how to cope. And there's, there's some uh, secret sauce stuff that I've created a long time ago and it still works and it still lasts. I call it my Soviet papers because um, it's cold like the Russians. And it works because it's teaching them that I, whatever, I can literally berate them the entire time. I, I would never, I'd never do that. There's no reason to do that. But I could. I could. And they just play like as if, they were listening to some music. Like, I'm not, I'm not even there. Like, they have to have that ability. If that's not being instilled, then them going in any situation, and now we have this, this, this whining culture, this culture, of, oh, man, he said this, I'm going to knock him out. Like, knock him out. Like, why are you telling me? Like, you should have just knocked him out. Like, you had, the, you had a million times. So like, ah, oh, nah, man, nah, I ain't trying to. Go ahead. Like, I mean, you go miss five, six games. Go ahead. Like, now, but now you get to run your mouth and talk about the what if, and it is it, it, it it's kind of built around that. Like at the end of the day, like if you're not going to see people, especially now with the COVID, and most people can't even uh, like most people don't work regardless. So this is a great great example for people not uh, like having a good reason not to work or try to get better. Um, my thing has always been I'm looking for somebody that's under me, somebody that's at my level and somebody that's and pretty much I'll never get a, a win off of. And that doesn't matter what I'm doing, whether I'm on the mat, whether I'm on the courts, whether I'm playing basketball, whether I'm uh, working with football, that should be the rigor of how you set up. I mean, the structure of how you set up your, uh, your support group. Because the guy that is under me, he should never beat me. I should demolish. The guy that's at my level, it should be 50-50 games. The guy that's supposedly above me, I should be playing full out, tactical, strategic, 
and learning how to feel, how to flow and not rush things because pound for pound on paper and in reality, he's he or she's demolishing at whatever that uh, specific thing is. So if I'm creating a, a, a group of people like that, one below, one above, one at my level, I'm, being, I'm constantly being tested. I'm constantly being tested. I'm constantly being tested. The guy below me, I can't slip up and let him capitalize. The guy above me, I'm always trying to find some type of way to, to get through some type of opening. So, I mean, there's, there's, so, many, there's, there's so many things I, I can just run, ramble off on. I, I don't even think I hit the ice, tip of the iceberg. I'm, I'm interested in... You, you, you mentioned the, the self-education part of that with your athletes. Um, once you're self-educated, I'm, I'm interested in almost like the specifics. And I don't know about specifics because I know it varies per athlete, but how are you implementing this, the, the, these discipline aspects in with your athletes when you're working with them? Is it talking to them after a rep? Is it Hey, this is what you need to think about here. Like what, what is your aspect? Is it just that it's such a long-term game? Cause I'm just thinking about it in the way of in the college world, college athletics, you get a guy that's already 18 years. He's had 18 years of life, 18 years of being taught discipline and quotations and living his life the way he thinks he's going to live his life. And now you get this, this young man that you're trying to help steer in the right direction, not just only in sports, but in life and how, how you have that influence. Maybe it's the four years that you have him for in college how you can really try and change that. I'd probably say the biggest thing is you don't, you don't try to change it. You have to, you got to model it. The, like, this isn't something that, you know, people like, you uh, fake it till you make it. This isn't something like that. This is something to where you have to show them, you have to figure out ways to get them to see it. Because nowadays, if you can't prove it, you can't see it, they don't want to talk, like they're not even trying to talk to you. So I'm not going to sit there and try to kumbaya or this is how I used to do it. Nope. I'm going to uh, tell them line down. If it's an offensive lineman, me and them are going one-on-ones for about an hour, 35 minutes. And they're going to be looking at me like, how the, like, how the fuck are you still moving? And I'm like, because I want it better. I want to prove that you, like, like, for some reason, the board says 55 to, I got 55 uh, roaches. 55 this, 55 that, and you've only got two. But if you look at you being emotionally flaring up, you've got a bunch of that. Um, same thing with pretty much anything, where I'm going to find someone that can demolish them and show them that they're not as disciplined as, as they think they are when it comes to being clutch, that they're not as good as they think they are, that they don't practice at a level that they should. So I'm going to figure out ways to uh, r- to rattle their their uh their creature comforts. Because at the end of the at the end of the day, we all regress to something. We were we all regress to something. Like uh, right now, I'm, uh, I haven't been on the courts in a while, so in pivotal game situations, I regress to a a really really fifty fifty backhand slice when I know I need to go two hands. So in pivotal situations, people are going to pick on my backhand, and I either have to run around it or just lose that point or somehow block it back. So that's what conveying and showing the discipline looks like. It's pretty much it always goes back to the to the um, to the field or to the to the initial sport. Like we can talk about it in the weight room. by building a hella resilient, hella adaptable, hella hella um, efficient system that knows how to find the, the most optimal every single time, repetition without repetition. And it's cool, but until we do it, 
then they feel the heat. Then they feel somebody's body on top of them or hand on a peg. They get slapped, uh, whether it's a wide receiver, they get slapped off the line or TV. They get, they get, uh, they get opened up like, um, like a Christmas present. And just, you know, it just depends. So it's just finding different ways to convey that. This is bigger than the game because it's your survival. Like if you think you're so disciplined, you pop off to the wrong person. Johnny Badass is going to show you who, who, um, who you thought you really were, and you're going to regress. It's the fight, flight, or freeze. At some point, something's going to happen. How disciplined are you? How ready are you for whatever's going to come? And this, like that's, and uh, I want to make a big caveat to everything I'm saying about emotions, to everything I'm saying about creating environments. The reason I talk about emotions so much, the reason I talk about discipline so much, the reason I talk about self-education so much, is because Without that, everything else is pointless. Like we have all these these old school coaches, we have all these young uh, coaches, we have all these young athletes that if you remove sports out of their life, yikes, there's nothing else. Like nothing at all, you know what I mean? Like they're clinging on and trying to find something to fill a gap that shouldn't have been a gap in the first place. It should have been a, uh, a piece just a piece, a well fit, well fitted piece into the to the structure of your life, but not the whole thing. And I'm and that's I'm, inter- I'm interested in diving in then to you, you. You talk about, and this is this is all stuff that I, I want to pick your brain about a little bit. Here is you, you talk about everybody regresses to something. Your job, your goal. Uh, and I'm assuming it's initially is that the challenge them to see and show them where they regress to, who they actually are deep down. Once you get them to that point, and this is this is what I tried to tried to say in the early one, but how are you going about? Is it is it changing that regression point, or is it just to where they know that is where naturally they regress to, and trying to keep them from regressing to that point? Is it a little bit of both? Like, what's kind of the way? Because now now they know. Oh shit! Like I am not the big dog. This is who I can regress to. I can mentally melt down. I'm not. I could not be clutch. I could freak out. Now. Is it keeping them from getting to that point in the game through like tactics that they think about and things they think about during the game? Or is it moving up that regression point to where now when they do mess up, they go to that point and it's just not as bad? Got to expose them. Got to expose them even further. Uh, Got to make sure they know you're there. You got you to gotta make sure um, they're vocal about certain things. I talk about uh, intellectual expression a lot because everyone lacks it. Nobody knows how to communicate nowadays. I was on court the other day and a young woman was uh, trying to struggle through a set and I'm looking like, you got it. Like you're, you're done. Like you're, you're done. You don't have anymore. Like you, like if you could cramp right now, you probably would like you're done. And she's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. I'm like, no, you're not. Have a seat. So we sat there and talked and I was like, look, this is, this is great. You were able to play, um, pretty pretty high level tennis today. Played for about two three hours. Then you played a a good a good a uh, one set. Good day. Get better. Move better. Saw the ball better. This is so next week or next time we come out. This is it. Once we get to this piece right here, we got to stretch it. So that means throughout the week, the entire time we're just trying to create different situations to elicit that. And that goes back to the environment. So I just got to figure out, okay, what situation or 
little piece of the pie elicits uh, athlete X, Y, or Z to do X, Y, or Z. Or if they can tell me, that's even better. That saves a lot of time. But it's, it's just that uh, that's not a simple – I really can't give it a simple uh, – really none of this is something I'm talking about. It's just I just know well enough to ramble on and sound some, some, uh, somewhat cohesive and have some type of some of common sense behind what I'm saying. But yeah, I, I really can't give you a good a good definition or even answer for that one just because it's it's so case by case. It's because I've had a lot of athletes uh, take a hiatus from me because I do want to bring them to that point. But when they come back, they always say the same thing. Yeah, man, um, it's still there, but I'm, I'm beating everybody. Like, I'm doing great, but that's still the piece that's I, – I, it's, it's got to be unlocked. It's the same thing in um, – like we know when something's something's nagging us and we don't want to take care of it, it's, it's, it's that we we already know what it is. But it's, does the athlete have enough goal to be like, yeah, man, the serve is not there today. Like I don't know, if it's not my shoulder. Like my shoulder's fine. Like I just don't, I'm not feeling it. So that means the entire day, like we're either going to create environments for him to serve or for him to just get to a point where he's like, I think I can serve. And then they go at it. Then they just slowly start working and just keep the fundamentals. Majority of the time, like, nobody wants to work the fundamentals because they're monotonous. But you need sometimes, you just need that, that feel. Because that, if that, if you can regress to that, you'll be an animal. <laughs> Depending on how you practice your fundamentals or train your fundamentals, whatever semantic you want to throw on there, but, you know. Yeah, that's... uh. I, this is the first time I've heard of, and it's just something like, I just love the way you're putting it, but you, you're creating the the environments to elicit the emotion rather than creating, and you, I'm sure it's still, you're still looking at all the movement stuff. You're still looking at all the, the sport specific stuff that's required for the sport, but right. the, the, the creating it, creating an environment to this is going to elicit this emotional response is something that this is the first time I've heard being brought up in the, in, in the way you're putting it. And I think it's something that, we really need to do need to look at as coaches is because, and a lot of times like we can, we can create, we can take care of the tactical and the, the, the movement based stuff pretty easily. And strength coaches don't want to say that sports performance don't want to say that, but like everybody, and this is, I, I've emphasized this a bunch when talking with athletes, like everybody's on the same page somewhat with the athletic potential, the, 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 the athletic ability that they have because everybody trains it. But at some point there's a lot of diminishing return there. And, what nobody's working on is this emotional side. What nobody's working on is this mental side of the game. And that's where you see right. the grades really take off. Oh, definitely. Um, you can go look at the tour right now. You can look at really any professional level and see who really trains for whatever they need. At the end of the day, like, I have some guys that, don't, that, that hate doing situational work. They just hate it. They play great tennis. Like, they don't need, like... But it's not that they don't need it, but like to them in their head, they're sold on the idea that they don't need it. It doesn't help them. So I'm like, you know what? Take your card of balls. We'll go work on something else. And we're hardwired, like we're hardwired to really feel and believe whatever it is. We it's the stubbornness. 
It's like, if we're going to be stubborn about it, I'm not going to try to argue you out of it. I'm just going to figure out a way. But like I said before, like to elicit, like if an athlete has pain at something, but they don't even want to try to do the motion, I'm going to figure out a way to elicit you to do the motion, whether it's in that particular situation of the game or I have to work my magic and create it to where you don't even realize you're doing it. And then I show them a video or, I, or I'll text them a video or email them a video and I say, ha. <laughs> and, you know, it's just like, it, that's, that's a part of it. Like, I don't have to, and I'm, I, depending on the day, I'm very quiet. Like, I don't really give a lot of feedback. Some days I give a lot. Some days I don't give any. Some days I'm not even saying, I don't even say hello. I'm just sitting there. Like, you, you know, the schedule, I'm just watching. Like, I don't, and then some days I'm in the mix. Like, I'm, I put on, I put on my protective stuff and we're going reps. We're, if we're grappling, if we're doing whatever, like I want to get as physical as you're getting. I want to throw you on the ground. You can throw me on the ground. If you want to tackle me, tackle me. I don't, I honestly don't care. I'm built for it. I could take it. And you know, it's just it's that kind of stuff I do. And, and I, I guess that also is why I see stuff the way I see it. Cause I don't mind getting in there and proving and really, because I, if I could beat the guy, I'll beat the guy. Like, if I can't, then we'll just keep going. And they'll be like, what the fuck? <laughs> and, you know, that's all I was saying. And you, you mentioned they, they may know the schedule of the day. And this is something that I'm now I'm even more interested in hearing is kind of your approach to a holistic and quotations program and how you go about breaking all of this down, how you, how you add all of this to your program and kind of what a typical day looks like. Because... I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of coaches out there where it's just like the big, big thing that they're going to focus on is we're going to go to the weight room and we're going to lift some weights and then we're done. Like what is kind of a typical day for you and how you're building these environments and creating that environment, but still hitting everything that we need to hit for athletes. Uh, they pretty much that's done in my assessment phase. So I'm looking at there's, this, there's certain, uh, there's certain indicators I look for in each sport that tell me what I need and what each athlete will need. And I'm always trying to get them to open up and talk, not just about sports, about the, about the life they're living and the life they want to live and the life they have lived. And I create the environments on what they need, what they want and everything else in the middle. And the needs get done first. The wants get done after everything else. Do you still want to do it? Yeah, let's work. And so then it's just a beautiful, intuitive move around. So the theme of the day might be roughhousing. And then the next day it might be speed. And the next day it might be um, just movement with a cap on it. But if the athlete or athletes say, hey, I feel like this, then I'll just make minor adjustments and move through it. I think that's probably one of the toughest things about me personally, because well, about creating that personally is due to the fact that athletes feel like they need this tight schedule that doesn't move, doesn't mold, doesn't change. And it's like, that's, we don't even live like that. Like tomorrow my house could burn down and I got to figure I got to, I have to adapt. So it's the same thing as if we're running sprints, but we've never ran a sprint in the same contextual manner that I'll go against a wide receiver or on the basketball court or on the tennis court. So I can't even, they don't even, they can't even correlate it. They can't even see it. 
like I, I can't I can't paint a picture if you have no imagination because if I'm trying to tell you you're like I yes look cool but if someone else is seeing on the same spectrum that I'm seeing if I give them my glasses they're like dude you know I've been seeing this whole time too and so now it's like we have more of a we have more of them to work so when I find athletes that I can give them my glasses and they're like dude I kind of see like this, but what about if you do it like this? And I'm like, it's yours. I just want to be able to give you all the tools to be able to go out and do it. And if you have any, and if you have something you need that you don't quite understand that I normally do when we're together and uh, we're, we're now apart, I'll easily send you a video on how to do it correctly, or I'll come out and if you're in the same city or I'll come out and uh, show you how to do it. It's the, the, the game isn't hard. The game is very easy. It just depends on how uh, how much how much time you want to put in making sure that the non-negotiables get done. After the non-negotiables are done, you pretty much have athletes that uh, wipe their ass on their own. Which is what what, what you just said there. You, you, you said it's yours, and that's something that I've continued to emphasize with my athletes is like these these are your four years of football. Like this is your life. This is your program, and what I'm seeing, especially with my athletes is this is the first time they've been giving, given that some sort of freedom, like some sort of like control over, Oh, like somebody's not telling me what to do. Somebody's not making sure I take set a set B set B, you know, like all the way through. And the interesting part is like, you, you'll see a lot of them freeze, you know, like you'll tell them, all right, like, how are you feeling? And what do you want? Like, what are we focusing on? Like, what, what could we add to this drill? What kind of rule could we do here? How could we squat? How should we squat? How is this, like, how are you feeling this apply to your game? And creating that conversation, like a lot of athletes, they're, they're, they're just not ready for that conversation. And it's interesting because after the four years of sports, they're, they're going to have to do this with their life. You know, like they're going to have to make their own decisions. They're going to have to make right. their own path and they're not told anything anymore. And I just think it's interesting that it's not trained more in in training, but also in society, you know, like the, you just see the, the, the deer, deer in the headlight look of, Oh man, I, I have to make this choice. Like, and the, the, that instant pressure on them. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it, it's tough. And to me, I'm always going to go back to the, to the non-negotiables because it's easy for me to say that without even saying what the non-negotiables are, but it's per coach. Like if I'm able to just instill some type of knowledge of self, self-education, like if you show a kid how to educate them, like educate himself, the game has changed and then they want to do it. Like they want to know how to become better. They want, like now it's not to the fact that they're coming to you for answers. They're coming to you for a conversation. Like they're not, you're now not 15 feet high. You're like, you're at either at his level or he might be above yours. Cause he's, he's digging harder than you are. He's finding more things. He's trying to push the scope. So a lot of, a lot of it's just, the ability to make sure that that young man or that young woman believes in themselves because a lot of a lot of athletes have confidence, but they don't have uh, high self. They have a low self esteem, like because we always get the the mix up of confidence versus self esteem. But those are two different things. And I I think the the interesting point is you talked about making sure like the, the, the athlete knows you're on the same level, so you're able to have that conversation because I think that's where we struggle in the field a lot, and we talked about it earlier, but. It really is like you need to be on that athlete's level to have that conversation. If, if you try to approach it as the ego filled coach, as the, Hey, this is my program. This is what I'm doing. This is what I am going to implement today. 
you are never going to have these conversations. You are never going to get that athlete to where they could get to. And it's just going to be fulfilling your ego and you're never going to have that growth as a coach. And I think that's something, and I, you're, you're mentioning it. Like it's, it's just, um, it's very chill, but like hearing it from you, I think is awesome because I don't think that's a lot. There's a lot of that out there. I mean, why would there be? It's not in any books. <laughs> I have just, like, it's like Albert Mill said, uh, at the end of the day, we've got all these coaches reading self-help books as if, uh, as if they don't already know how to move or do, or like, if you got it, you got it. Um, but I don't think self-help books are the best way to do it. Like if everybody's reading, uh, whatever that Mark Manson book is, but if everybody's reading the same stuff and you expect a different conversation, then that's the problem. (laughs) Like we're all, like we can all be on the same book, different pages and different perspectives. That's great. That's fine. That's the goal. So now it's you pull this, I pull this. Did you see that? No. I wish I would have. Would you, how'd you see that? Like it's just the ability to say like, damn, I am wrong. I want to be wrong a lot just because it's the, it, that's where the growth is. It, it's the desirable difficulties like uh, boards. Like it's, it's just the ability to be like, okay, so. I don't have a psychology degree, but it doesn't stop me from going and learn everything possible on the on um, on Google and just figure out, okay, this research is good, this research is bad, like how can I apply this? Like it's like the game is so cold if you don't want to be cold. Like if not, you're just waiting for somebody else to give it the answers. Well, and then that I'm interested in in the aspect, because I think a lot of coaches are well-meaning and, and, and that's why they're reading those books and that's why they're reading the, the self-help things that you mentioned and everybody's reading the same thing. Do you have any advice for coaches out there about trying to almost break that mold and trying to get into the mindset that you currently have to see things that different way and have that egoless approach and the ability to coach the way you coach? I would, I, I wouldn't put this mind on anybody else. That's a burden. Um, what I will say is you have to go have a conversation with someone you normally wouldn't. Like, I think when, when I was six or seven, the first, one of the first couple books I got for my birthday, uh, when I was six or seven, like six, I believe it was Pimp by Donald Goins. Um, seven, it was Doping. And most parents wouldn't imagine giving their kid a a book about a dopamine or, or a pimp, but it's the it's it's the story. It's real life. Like so reading stuff like that and then understanding, okay, so how does a pimp maneuver? How does a pimp maneuver? Okay, how does a dopamine maneuver? How does the drug they were giving the dope to the dopamine maneuver? And then just reading about life like to me though that stuff when I was young really just interesting like it was interesting and then I have a mom she would like have me write reports about every book that I read and documentaries and stuff like that so it was just different and I loved it I was just that kind of kid so always um being able to have conversations and discussions and I would always have discussions with the bosses like these are 30 to 70 year old um 37 year old men in the oil field like what are they like 
but I'm not even in that mind frame. Of why are they talking to me? I'm in the mind frame of so let's have a conversation. Like let's just talk. Like we're I'm ten years old at this point. Like now I'm just talking to all these these oil magnates and he's just having regular conversations with people. Like that's that's it. Now, but these light bulbs are also popping up in my head left and right. Like okay, that's the way he thinks about this. He thinks about he thinks that way. He thinks this way. So you're really just getting this full scope of it and. Just gotta go outside. You just, you know, as cliche as it is, you gotta go outside your comfort zone. Yeah, and I, I love the point of like, and I think it's it, it fits me very well because I do the same thing in having conversations with people. But the more, and I love this podcast, and I love talking to coaches like you, and I love talking to coaches that challenge things. And but some of my biggest ideas and biggest things that I implement, either whether it's with my business or with my athletes, have come from things totally outside the realm of sports performance. It's coming from talking to my buddies that, that run a, run their own, uh, their own business and talking to people that are completely outside the field. And like you said, you, you talk to them and you start to see like, Oh, okay, this is how they're thinking about this. This is what they're doing. And then that light bulb goes up like, all right, how can you apply this back to what your expertise is back to what you're doing back to your athletes that you're working with? Right. It's just, it's just, um, it's the want. like you have to want to, to be wrong you have to want to see if you can get yourself out of a sticky situation like nobody wants to be wrong nowadays everyone wants to be right everyone's assumed right um i can't have a conversation with the person that i disagree with like, i love doing that i love having conversations with people that don't see anything the way i do because if they shut me up obviously i don't have my uh i don't have my facts right i don't have my arguments right. i'm not as, i'm not as quick with it as i think i am I'm not, that's the way I like to challenge myself. I don't like to challenge myself with somebody who sees exactly the way I see. And even if they do see the exactly the way I see, I pray they fight. I pray they want to fight because I don't want to get into the ring or a conversation with somebody that's not going to push or punch. If you're going to hold a punch, then I don't know. I don't even want to, like, let me have it. Let me hear it. Like, be raw. Like, I like that. that. That might be the, the, the title of the podcast, Be Wrong. And we can transition into the uh, kind of rapid fire rounds here. And I think we're going to have some interesting answers uh, with the way you challenge things. But then the, the number one is um, kind of your favorite books. And I know you said you don't like reading what everybody else is reading. And you mentioned books a couple of times. But what are some books that you think other people should read to kind of challenge where they're at right now? There's a lot of black history books. Uh, another a really good one Laws of Human Nature by Robert Greene it's really good I'm halfway through it uh, Madness of Crowds that's a really good book halfway through that one um, there's a book about gender and, the, and neuroscience it's a really good one can't remember it though. but those are three good books I probably have read I've I've glanced over too many books this past uh, this past COVID. It's been wild. A lot of learning. I like it. Constant learning. Next question, and uh, this is kind of how we got you on the podcast, and how I uh, got to dive into your rabbit hole that you have. Um, but who's a guest that you think we should have on this podcast to kind of bring listeners down a rabbit hole? Uh, definitely Jerry Burden. That's my guy. Uh, probably pretty much the only guy uh, I talk to at the moment right now. Cause we're on the same spectrum with a lot of things we're always pushing um and exploring just diving diving in just uh transcending i like it i'll have to i'll have to reach out to him and 
get more into this. Uh, next question. What's, um, what's kind of next for you? Uh, what's kind of that next big step? Uh, maybe it's a one year goal, a five year goal, but what's kind of the next big thing you're reaching for? Uh, retirement. Um, I always make the joke that I'm retired now because the way I live and the way I move, but definitely retirement. I plan to be retired like a, and just put out all the information I've done. Like I'm working on finishing and putting every bit of work I've done in the past five, six years out and put research behind it. And, and, uh, and go live relax do you have any uh any big uh vacation plans with the retirement you said go live and relax there's somewhere you want to visit slash go nah i just stop thinking for a little bit (laughs) next question this is one of my favorites of the podcast but when all this is over when the retirement hits uh what do you want your legacy to be what do you want people to say about you and how you coached and what you left for this planet i always think about that but honestly to me it doesn't matter to me because i can want people to say a lot of great things but if anything that i pushed them that i didn't hold punches um my legacy is probably the education company i started but because that's more important than any ball or sport that I could ever work with. I had to have my athletes. I don't give a shit if you win 15, 16 titles. I can give two shits. But if, if, you, uh, if you live a prosperous life, then that, uh, that means the world. I love that. And the, the, the last kind of question here, and this is uh, your billboard message for somebody that's in the Valley. And I think it, it applies to, like you said, it, it's, very little to do with what you do on the sport and very much to do with what you do with your life and how you live your life. But you're talking to somebody that is in this Valley. They're in a really, really tough spot in their life. You have an athlete that comes to you. What's kind of your billboard message to make sure they know that's not the end. That Valley isn't the bad spot. Keep working. Keep working. At the the end of the day, we got to worry something. We got to keep working. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes, that's the only way you can't think about the situation you're in. You just got to work, got to work, got to adapt. And you got to be willing to, like, some shit hurts. A lot of, actually, a lot of, a lot of shit hurts. That's just a part of the game. Either you play it or you watch it from the sidelines. It's just the, it's the way of it. I love that, Coach. We, we did it. We got into some rabbit holes. We, we, we dug into some of the things, uh, the, the emotional uh, environments that took a totally different path than I initially thought. And I, I'm pumped to kind of dive back into this. Like you said, it's recorded. So I'm able to actually go back in and kind of uncase some of the stuff that you talked about. But th- this was awesome. Almost definitely. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood.